Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. You know, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't take us long in life. Matter of fact, by the time we're little kids, we, uh, we sense, we feel uh, that there, are, there is something outside ourselves that would make life better. We, 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 uh, something, something must be added to us. There must be something that would make life more fun, uh, more fulfilling, more joy-filled, to make life what we want it to be. And so we start searching for it. You ever look for it? That would be it. You ever said that? Oh, that would be it. Well, I've done that. Little kid, if I could just have that bicycle, I mean, the stingray with the banana seed and the, you know, remember that, huh? Boy, that would be it. That would be it. If I could just make it to that team, if I could play on that team, that would be it. If I could, if I could make all A's in school, that would be it. If I could get that new car, that would be it. If I could have a date with that girl, that would be it. If I could get married, that would be it. You ever, you ever search for it? Sure. Everybody on the planet searches for it. What if, what if God Himself, His forgiveness, His acceptance, his approval, his presence. What if, what if God himself is it? What if he is the, the one essential, indispensable thing to give us life uh, at its fullest? I think maybe he is. Last week, Pastor Jay Vineyard introduced the, um, the first part of the gospel prayer that we are um, that we're learning to pray as part of our gospel revolution uh, series, and it focused on this amazing grace, the acceptance of God, uh, and approval of God, forgiveness of God, cleansing of God that comes through faith alone in Christ alone. And uh, we prayed something like this: Do we have that on the screen? Do we have that first part of the prayer? Yeah, dear Lord God, since this is the I added the little dear Lord God. That's my own words there. Uh, since I am in Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more, and nothing I have done that makes you love me less. And so we've been focusing on that. Now this week, we take a turn and begin to drill down just a little deeper on uh, our acceptance by God. And His presence and approval that comes through faith alone and in Christ alone, and and how that is should and could become the weightiest, uh, the indispensable part of our lives uh, to have life at its fullest. And this is this is how uh, we will uh, pray it. I think I've got that up there. Is that what's next? Let me see. Yeah, here we go. Here, here's the big point. The presence and approval of God are all that you need for life at its fullest. Now, that's what we're betting the, our life in eternity on. That's what the Scriptures say. Uh, this truth, we sum it all up. The presence and approval of God in our lives through faith in Christ alone are all that you need for life at its fullest. Now, we will... Um, 
we will focus on praying the second part of the prayer that goes like this. Lord, your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Now, that runs us headlong into our biggest problem. I've got, this is one of the times I can say, every one of us in the room have this problem. Every one of us wrestle with this. Every one of us are faced with this problem. This is, this is something that you have in common with every human being on the planet, and that is this. We tend to be idol worshipers. We tend to be idol worshipers. We have a propensity toward idolatry. We have a tendency. We have a natural inclination. We have a, a bent. We have a predisposition toward idolatry. Now, some of you are saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. I, I don't have a single statue in my home made out of wood, made out of precious metal, made out of beautiful stone. I don't have, a, I don't have any idol like that that I, I pray to. I don't know what you're talking about. You probably don't. Some of us in our community do. And some of you may have. But very few of you do. That tends not to be our problem. But you do have a problem with idols. I have a problem with idols. Every human being on the planet has a tendency toward idolatry. Now, I want to explain that this morning. And I'm going to define it and uh, describe it and... Uh, pound the proverbial table about it from every which way I can. About 30,000 different ways I'm going to try to say the same thing for the next uh, 20 minutes because we have, uh, it is so pervasive, idolatry is so pervasive, it is so subtle, it is so subversive, it is so effective in keeping us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus uh, and we have a hard time seeing it. We have a hard time understanding it and knowing how to respond to it. So here's one of the definitions. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Now, again, many of you say, good, I got it. There's one God. I'm not him. We got it covered. We got it covered. Well, hang on. Here's what I mean by that. An idol is whatever we think, whatever we feel, like we could not live without if this was not a part of our life. If we, didn't, if we could not be this, if we could not do this, if we could not have this or this person. That, that, that life would not be worth living. That, that, that is the one essential, indispensable thing that we must have in our lives. Anything other than God that carries that weight is an is an idol. Anything in addition to God Himself. You, idols are the things that we give the most weight to. Weighty. Significant in our lives. The, uh, and, and, you know, most idols are not bad things. The vast majority of idols are not bad things. In fact, an idol, most of the time, is a very good thing that we turn into a God thing and it becomes a bad thing for us. It, is, it can be a very good thing. I mean, whether it's money, sex, marriage, good food, what, taken to a God level, it becomes a bad thing. It becomes a destructive thing. And 
anything that we raise to that level becomes a bad thing for us. Now, God himself dealt with this issue in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll open them, uh, whether hard copy or digital copy. Go to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. Now, here's the scene. Here's the scene. It is just after... God had delivered the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, approximately one million of them, from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. You, many of you know the story. He sent Moses, prepared him uniquely to be the human leader that he would use to lead his people out of slavery. Uh, they have crossed the Red Sea. They're into the wilderness on their way to, to uh, uh, Canaan, Palestine, the region of the world that God had promised to Father Abraham. And there in the wilderness, God called Moses to come to the top of the mountain and to speak to him about essential matters. And he gave him there instructions, among other things, the Ten Commandments. This is where we are in chapter 20. And here's what... The Lord said, Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, or in the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down, underline that phrase, you must not bow down to them or worship them, underline the word worship there. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now that may be a surprise, but He is a God who is jealous. He's a loving God who has a jealous love for you, a jealous love of another kind. He said, wait a minute, how could, I thought jealousy was the green-eyed monster. I thought it was one of the, one of the, you know, seven deadly sins. I thought this. How could how could a loving, perfect God be jealous? Does God sin? No. There are two kinds of jealousy in this world. There's sinful jealousy, which is destructive, and there is holy jealousy. It, it means God's uh, love for us is exclusive, and He wants our love for Him to be exclusive. That we don't uh, sleep around with other gods. What he said. I mean, he uses the metaphor of adultery all through the scriptures when it comes to people turning to either different or adding on to him other gods. He says that's spiritual adultery. And he said, I am jealous of my love for you. There's no room for anybody else. There's no room for it. It is exclusive. The relationship is exclusive. And so... Uh, that's what he says here. And so in this passage, God describes um, idols. And he says that an idol, one of three things, is something that we bow down to. There he said in, in uh, verse 5, you must not bow down to them. It mean, And to bow down to something means that uh, we obey it. That it, it, it tends to direct our choices, our will. It commands our obedience, what we choose to do. Or not do. It commands our, we, we bow down to something, we are subservient to it. We say, we're bowing down and say, command me. It commands our 
obedience. An idol is something, he says, something that we worship or serve. You must not worship them, he says. And it means we pursue it because we feel like we could not live without it. Whatever you're pursuing, whatever you think you cannot live without, that life must have, whatever is essential, that's an idol if it's not God himself. Uh, And he says that an idol is something that we love more than him. Or, as he says, for I am a jealous God. So idolatry, in that sense, is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Anything at all. So here we go. Let's let's try to write these down again, because it's hard for us to get this. Exodus 20, verse 5, defines an idol as anything that we trust more than God. Write down the word trust. Anything that we trust more than God. You must not worship them. You must not serve them. You must not pursue them. That means we trust anything that we trust for our happiness, anything or anyone that we trust for our security, for our well-being, other than or in addition to God Himself is an idol. He says that an idol is something that we serve. We pursue it. We feel like we couldn't live uh, without it. It commands our obedience, as I said before. And then anything that we love more than God. So God is jealous of our love. Theologian, the great theologian John Calvin, in his writing said this, that the human heart, every human being's heart, is an idol factory. I'm just an idol factor. We are always adding on to the love of God expressed to us in Christ Jesus or just flat out pursuing something in addition to Him. Idolatry, he's, he, he lists here first in whether you may be out of the theological background that says there are nine commandments, not ten, and this is the first commandment. There are others of us that are out of another background that says, well, these are two separate commandments. doesn't matter. These verses are about idolatry. And he deals with idolatry first because idolatry was behind the very first sin and it's been behind every sin since then. It is always the sin behind the sin. So, what is that for you? Or who is that for you? This week, when you gather, some of you will gather today in your life groups uh, for your fourth session study in the Gospel Revolution study, you're going to take an idol detector test. And uh, so I'm not going to spend much time here, but let me ask a few diagnostic questions just to get you thinking uh, ahead of time. Now, I got these from uh, our author, J.D. Greer's book, Gospel, uh, that... um, And so, matter of fact, most of this material comes right from him. I couldn't say it better than him. But here's some of the questions. What do you really feel and think has to be present in your life for life to be good? What do you think you must be in order for life to be fulfilling? I must be this or it's not going to be fulfilling. What do you... do you feel that you must do? I've got to be able, I've got to get to do this or life will not be what I want it to be. Uh, what must you or who must you have to be happy? Uh, what causes you the most stress? What worries you the most about 
the future? Where do you place your hope for security for the future? Uh, so here are three questions that I ask you frequently. They're going to be on the screen. Now, these won't be new to you because I've been about a, for about a year I've been posing this, this question. Uh, you could ask yourself on the, from the screen this question, what am I currently disobeying God in order to be or do or have? Or what am I what am I willing to disobey God in order willing to disobey God in order to be or do or have? After over forty years of, of being a pastor, I have lost count of the number of times that people have come uh, to sit with me to talk about uh, uh, an issue in their life, and and in some part of the conversation, they will say, "Now, now, pastor, I know what the Bible says about this, but." Whatever comes next is God in their life. Because why? Whatever else of this, I am willing, I know God says this, but I, I, I want, I must, I, I want to do this, I want to be this, I want to have this or, or them, and I'm willing to disobey God to do this. Boom. There, there's an idol. Someone has replaced We've, been, we've given something or someone God-like weight in our lives. Third question, what, and, and again, you see this one from me often, what must I be or do or have in order to be joyful, content, and or fulfilled? So just some questions to be asking. You'll drill down more on these this week in your groups and in your own quiet times with God. So, why, you know, God answers the question why frequently to us. Why does God prohibit idolatry in our lives? Why does He command us to avoid idols and to worship and serve Him, him only? Well, there's several reasons, but here's, here's a big one. It's because our idols leave us empty. We pursue our idols because we want to be fulfilled. But they don't deliver on the promise. They leave us, they leave us empty. Anything that we substitute for our Lord God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, leaves us yearning. Saint Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, wrote it uh, this way in his famous book uh, Confessions. He said, "This Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee." I recommend that you crawl through his book Confessions, Saint Augustine. Magnificent, magnificent. Our Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds itself, its rest in Thee. You see, our, our, our heart was created in such a way that only the eternal love of God expressed to us in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His death on the cross for us in resurrection from the dead, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. You ever heard that old song? Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Pretty good theology. Pretty good theology. You see, Jesus is, uh, because nothing else will do it. Not a marriage partner, as wonderful as, as a marriage partner is. I mean, you know, it, people will say, it's like, well, you, you hear this in these, all, every romantic chick flick, and, and, peop, and people even actually put it on blogs, and like let people know they really think this. You complete me. You are my soulmate. 
please. Please, please. Now, now, a marriage, you can't put that kind of weight on, on your marriage partner. You can't put that kind of weight on your spouse. What you're saying is, see, only God completes us. Only God can satisfy our soul. Only the Lord Jesus can satisfy our soul. So when we, we say, oh, if I can just get married to this person, they would be it. And then we put God-like weight on them and expect them to meet all of the emotional, physical, relational, uh, you know, intellectual needs, all of our security, and, and, and then they finally crumble under it and we lose what we thought we had to have by the fact we made them an idol. Not a marriage partner, as wonderful as they are. I have discovered over the years that insecure, lonely, single people eventually become insecure, lonely, married people. Because we can't do that. Humans can't do that for each other. Not a marriage partner. Not money, as essential as money is. Money is a great blessing from God. It makes a, a great servant, but a terrible God. I mean, we don't even have to spend any time there. We've seen many, many people have a lot, a lot of money and be miserable in this world. Uh, not the admiration of other people, as nice as it is to be admired. Now, that's, that tends to be my idol. You know, that I want people to like me. I want, I want to be admired by you as my friends and church members. I, you know, I want to be admired by my colleagues. I want, to be, I want my, even some of my dead seminary professors, Phil, to really think I did good, you know, your, your old teachers. That's, that can be, a, that can be a, the admira admiration of people that you care about is important, right? Right? But if we turn it into a God thing, it becomes a bad thing and harms us. Idols promise fulfillment, but they deliver disillusionment. Because here's the, here's the way it typically works. You can attain these things, but they're temporary. They don't last. I mean, we're not very deep as Americans. We think if you have a we, beauty, physical beauty, if you have a beautiful or a handsome face and a good-looking body, that'll be it. Or maybe it's athletic ability. If I can be a great athlete, that'll be it, or maybe it's money, if I can just get, you know, a little bit more money, if I can just get a, a better 401k, if I can just build up the right portfolio, if I can earn a certain level, that'll be it, that'll be it, that'll be it. Or if I can just get in a position of power and influence, whether it's in my church or in my neighborhood or in my city or in my nation or in this world or in my corporation, that'll be it. And you may attain some of those things, but they are temporary. They don't last. I mean, physical beauty. Look at me. You guys have been hanging around a while. I mean, I used to be pretty. I'm not. Now, I'm not now. And you know, you've heard me say the old silly joke. What goes 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1? Miss America growing old. I mean, you remember that? You remember that? I'm it beauty fades. We know that. You can have it a while, but it does not last. So our, I, if that's an idol, we turn it that good thing. Is it nice to be attractive? Sure. But if we take that good thing, turn it into a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. It's going to leave us empty. It's going to leave us empty. Athletic ability. If I can just become a great athlete, because, you know, we tend to really love our great athletes, that'll be it. And so we turn it into, you know, we, we work and we work and we work, and then they hand you the ball on the first play of the game, and you get your knee blown out. If, if that had become a God thing, an idol... It, it, it just doesn't last. 
How many of you remember who Gail Sayers is? I want to see. Welcome. And all of you are old. Only old people remember who Gail Sayers was. Gail Sayers played for the Chicago, Chicago Bears. Some say he was the greatest running back ever in the history of the game. Never be one better than him. And at the peak of his career, one day a 900-pound linebacker tore up, tore up his knee. Next thing you know, you're modeling underwear in the Sears catalog. Now, that's funny, but is it true? Yeah, it's true. Our, I, if, if we take, is it a good thing to enjoy uh, athletic success? Yes. Yes, but if we take a good thing and turn it into a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing. Uh, God says, He says, my acceptance and my presence that comes only through faith alone in my Son alone, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I am the essential thing for life at its fullest. He says, I'm it. And I'm betting on Him. Who, does, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not change. He, Jesus is better than money. Jesus, his, his presence and acceptance in our life is better than human love, better, better than earthly pleasure, better than power, better than popularity. Uh, our, our author of our study, J.D. Greer, wrote this in, in his book, Gospel. Uh, that we'll make of it's not the this is not out of the little workbook we're working through in our life groups it's out of the bigger book we're going hopefully JB we can make some of those available after the whole study's over um, but I wanted to read something he wrote he says our ability to be joyful in all things is the measure of how much we believe the gospel. Sometimes we know that Christ has taken all of our sin, but His approval just doesn't carry that much weight in our lives. Other things matter more to us. The amount which you understand the gospel is measured by your ability to be joyful in all circumstances. If you grasp what a treasure the presence and acceptance of God are, then even when life goes really wrong, and it will, you will have joy, a joy that sustains you because you'll recognize the value of what you have in Him. When life punches you in the face, and it will, you'll say, but I still have the love and acceptance of God, a treasure I don't deserve. And the joy you find in that treasure can make you rejoice even when you have a bloody nose. You have a joy that death and deprivation cannot touch. This is why the Apostle Paul could say from the confines of a Roman prison in Philippians chapter 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Learning, and we do learn this, learning to be satisfied by being in Jesus, in Christ, in Him, will free you to enjoy everything else in life. Because when we are satisfied with God's presence, and approval in our life, we will no longer uh, obsess over things that we do not have or that we want to be, or want to do. Because His presence and approval is all you need for life at its fullest. Now, some of you might be asking, well, Keith, what must I do now, this morning, to have that everlasting joy? What must I do uh, to uh, to put that 
God in his presence and acceptance in that weightiest position in my life. Well, let me let me address those of you here who are not yet Christians. You're not yet a follower of Christ. You must do three things. You must begin by doing three things. First of all, you must repent of your sins. That means that you not only recognize, admit to yourself and to God that you are a sinful person who's been living in open revolt against the rule of God in your life, but that you regret it and you grieve it and you want to turn away from it and turn to Him. It's like uh, a defensive back making an interception and getting a little bit confused and, and, st- and starts running in the, toward the wrong goal line. And finally he realizes, I'm about to go, I'm going the wrong way. I'm in danger of losing the game And he turns and runs in the opposite direction in the right way toward the right goal for the right reason. You must repent of your sins. Second, you must believe in Jesus. Now to believe in Jesus means more than just acknowledging the facts about Jesus, even though that's necessary. It does include the fact that you believe that Jesus is God who's come in the flesh He lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross as your substitute because of your sin and paid the the price to atone for your sin and that He rose again from the dead and is alive today and able to give you this, this what God calls eternal and abundant life. You must believe that, but there's a little bit more. It means you place your active trust in Jesus to do that for you. We've got a lot of airline pilots here. I see several of you here uh, this morning. Guys, it's kind of like you. Uh, now, if, if this mo- I'm not planning on getting on a plane today or this week, uh, but I do believe that those big jets have a landing gear that come down and allow you to land safely. I do believe that. But you guys, some of you this afternoon, you will... You will Take active belief in that landing gear. You'll actually get on the plane, load it up with a bunch of people, and fly to another part of the country or another part of the the world, and and you will be placing active faith in that landing gear to help you land safely. Believing in Jesus is much like that. We actually put our trust in Him alone to forgive us our sin and to... to, uh, have us adopted into the Lord's family. Repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus. And the third thing is confess Jesus publicly. There are no secret disciples, no secret followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, the way that our Lord Jesus designed for us to go public with our faith is through believers' baptism. People who personally, sometimes even privately, who pray, repent of their sin and believe in and on Jesus, then celebrate it publicly with believers' baptism. Some of you are ready to do that now. You're ready to do that now. You have a communication card in your bulletin. If you'll take that out, you'll see there's a place for you to indicate, I am today becoming a follower of Jesus. Or it, maybe you've done so privately some other time, maybe even years ago, you might be willing to say, and I, I want to confess Jesus publicly. I want to be baptized. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Just hold up your card. I'm ready. 
I'm ready to, to, to repent of my sin, believe on Jesus, and follow Him. Anybody? Okay. Everybody's either really good. Everybody's good? Okay. Well, let me speak to the rest of us, majority of us here, Christians, followers of Jesus. So, Keith, what must I do to rid myself of, of idolatry? Well, first of all, let me say that you're going to confront this for the rest of your life on earth. There will never be a time when you are not tempted to put something else in the place of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life. It's just part of living in this world, and we're going to need the Lord's help for the rest of our lives on the planet. But what you do, first of all, is you remind yourself of the gospel every day. Now, we are giving ourselves a reminder in our um, series here called the Gospel Prayer, and we are learning that gospel prayer uh, you've been praying it. So you remind yourself, thank you, Lord, that you died for me. You made a way for me. I placed my faith in you. And God has arranged, because of my faith alone in you, to give me what he calls eternal life. And we pray to him. In you, Lord Jesus, there's nothing now that I can do to make you love me more. And there's nothing I have done that will make you love me less. And Lord, your presence and your approval is all I need for everlasting joy. That's a good reminder. Just remind yourself every day. There are many other ways you can do it, but do that. Second, spend some time, like I did this past week, just in quiet reflection, I mean, several hours actually, just saying, okay, Lord, would you take the blinders off my eyes and the blinders off my soul and reveal to me idols, if there are idols in my life now? Or what are the ones that I've struggled with? And I've already confessed one big one to you. But I had, I had some good time to make a, a list there. Spend some time asking God to help you identify the idols in your life. And then repent of it. Turn from them. Ask for His help. For He will, he will help you do so. Fourth, you're probably going to need to spend some more time on this uh, because it's our big problem. And just one little 30-minute sermon from me is not going to do the job. So I've given you some resources there. I recommend, first of all, that you get uh, J.I. Packer's classic book, uh, Knowing God. These resources are listed at the bottom of your note sheet in your bulletin there. And read in particular, I've got the pages noted, read in particular uh, the chapters where he deals with the, the wrath of God and the jealousy of God. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. Got to read those. Got to read those. Um, second uh, resource that I have for you there is, the, is J.D. Greer's book, Gospel. You'll hear, more, you'll hear more about that when we finish this thing up in about four weeks. Uh, Thomas Chalmers, one of the old Puritan Preachers preached a sermon by the name The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Uh, you can, if you've got Kindle uh, or access to online books, you can get this for either free public access or about 99 cents. I'm telling you, it'd be the best dollar you've ever spent. Uh, and uh, crawl through that one. Great help with what we do to replace our idols with our affection for the Lord Jesus that comes through the gospel. And then the best thing I've seen for people who live in our day 
to help us understand and be set free uh, from idolatry is Pastor Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. Get it? Devour the whole thing. It's magnificent. Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Okay, I want to pray for you. Let's pray. I'm going to ask our musicians to come on up because we're going to continue to worship God with song in just a moment. But I want to pray for us now. Lord, I thank You that You have made a way for us to be set free from the idols in our lives. And instead to place You on the throne of our lives. You as the object of our worship. You as the object of our... You are the one to command our obedience. You are the one we desire to serve. You are the one we desire to love. And so, Lord, I do pray that You'd help us from Your own words in Exodus chapter 20, that You, our Lord and our God, who have set us free from the rule and reign of of sin over our lives, Help us to have no other gods besides you. No counterfeit gods. No idols in our lives. Whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on earth below. Help us not to bow down to them. Not to worship them. But to worship you exclusively. We give you thanks for these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.